This is a show dedicated to technology literacy and technology conversations in Ghana. This is City Trends. My name is Philip Sean and City Trends is sponsored by First National Bank. Now, sometimes, you know, you have to make some quick payments that um, cannot afford to wait even another minute. Well, there is no time to join a bank queue and sometimes even to make a phone call to the bank. Well, you can do all of these things with the First National Bank mobile app. First of all, log into your banking app and click on Payments. Then one off at the top right of the screen. Select Specify Account Details. Select Bank or Branch. Enter Payment Details, the name and account number, and click Continue. Then enter the amount, own reference, and recipient reference. Then you tick the Instant Pay checkbox and click Continue. The details will be presented for confirmation and when you click confirm, that's it. Your payment is literally done. Quick and easy. Enjoy more ease and convenience with the First National Bank mobile app. Download it on the Google Play Store or the Apple Store to experience how app amazing it really is. Call 0242-435-5050-0800-770522. You can visit firstnationalbank.com.gh for more information. Remember, First National Bank, how can we help you is their question. But then how can we help you on the show today? Well, this is what you should expect on the show today. What happens is that if you are doing any, practicing any financial activity, be it insurance, investments, banking, and you are doing it blindly, it really pushes you to a point where you will make mistakes. Mm. And so we are saying that we have, consumers have these assets, let them make the most of the asset. Instead of asking you to, them to go and bring uh, collateral, let them use the data that you have on them as their collateral. Mm. And that's actually the benefit of open banking. Yes, indeed. Understanding the concept of open banking for an African Population. All this and more to come. You can send in your thoughts and your questions and your opinions on the show via WhatsApp number 054-9986996. Alternatively, you can reach us on Twitter using the hashtag CityTrends. That is C-I-T-I-T-R-E-N-D-S. So make sure you let us know what your thoughts are and send us a message as well. Like I always say, City Trends is indeed sponsored by First National Bank. But hey, if you are ready for, for the show, so um I and we're going to start off with a how-to segment with Ni Daku Otu. Hello and welcome to the How To segment on City Trends. In today's episode, you will learn how to turn your laptop or PC that has an internet connection into a Wi-Fi device so as to share that internet connection. On a Mac, click on the Apple menu, then click on System Preferences. In the dialog box that pops up, look for Sharing and click on it, then select Internet Sharing in the service list. In the dialog box that pops up, 
Locate share your connection from option and then choose the internet connection you want to share. For example, if you're connected to the internet over ethernet cable, choose ethernet. If you're connected over Wi-Fi, choose Wi-Fi. To the bottom right in the same dialog box, you can select the mode by which you want to share your internet. I would suggest Wi-Fi. Following this, click Wi-Fi options and give the network a name as well as a password to make it easily locatable and secure respectively. To give it a password, click on the security drop-down menu and select WPA2. It will then give you the option to add password protection to the shared Wi-Fi you are creating. When you are done, you can finally activate the shared internet connection by locating the internet sharing option on the left side of the sharing dialog box and click on the tick box next to it. A pop-up from the top will ask to confirm if you want to start sharing your internet. Go ahead and click start and you should be able to locate the named Wi-Fi connection on any device that is Wi-Fi capable. Enter the password and you are connected. On a Windows computer, locate the icon that indicates your internet connection at the bottom right of your screen on the taskbar. Click on it and in the bottom right of the pop-up dialog box, right-click on mobile hotspots and click go to settings. A window will open showing you the settings for sharing your internet. Do not turn it on just yet. You would have to set it up before turning it on. The internet connection source to be shared will automatically be selected. But in the case where you are connected to both Ethernet and Wi-Fi, you can select which one you would want to share. Following that option, you can then choose the mode by which you want to share your internet. Again, I suggest Wi-Fi. Going further down, you will see the details of the shared internet you are trying to create. Click on the Edit tab to edit the details to your preference like we did for the Mac computer. I suggest you change just the name as well as the password. When you are done with this, go ahead and scroll to the top and then turn on your shared internet connection and you should be able to access it from any device that has Wi-Fi connection. Thank you and have a wonderful evening. Has your computer developed a problem you don't understand? Is your phone refusing to respond? Is there a computer virus you are battling with? Are you having problems signing into your account? Share your tech problems with City Trends and we will get the experts to help you solve them. Send us your problems via WhatsApp number 054-998-6996. You can also send us a tweet using the hashtag CityTrends. This is one of those conversations that will pique your interest, especially if you have a certain interest in financial technology, if you have a bank account, if you enjoy having money on you, if you enjoy making transactions, this is a sort of conversations you should be listening to and turning up the volume on because that is the issue we're going to be dealing with on City Trends today, having to do with the concept of open banking. What exactly does that open banking concept mean? What does it mean for you as someone who goes to the bank on a regular basis, who uses an ATM, who uses a banking app? 
whatever it is, what does open banking mean for you? What does it mean for a growing community like ours in terms of being plugged into the global community of financial technology solutions? And also, really, is the world actually learning from us and our example, or is the other way around? Well, we'll be looking to find out more about this particular concept on the show today. And there is nobody else but the grandmaster of Approve himself who has joined us in the studio. Paul Damody, thank you so much, Paul, for joining us on the show. Thank you, Philip, for having it's, me. It's, it's a real pleasure to have you. First of all, even before we delve into the concept of open mic and everything, tell us right. about what Approve has been up to um, these last couple of months and what 2021 is going to look like. Okay. So, so before, I mean, Approve essentially is uh, an infrastructure that helps financial services verify the information you give them. Mm. So if you're a business or uh, a customer and you open a bank account, they need to know that your ID document is, you know, legitimate or right. the financial statements that you are using to apply for a loan is legitimate. So that's what we do. In terms of what we have been up to, um, in terms of what we've been up to, most of 2020, myself as CEO, I spent it out of Ghana. <laughs> I got stuck in Uganda for almost six months. Wow. Um, and, you know, I, I went to other, mostly spent it in East Africa, Kenya, Uganda. Um, what we've been doing is to grow our reach across Africa, mm -hmm. and that's because from day one, Approve has been built as a pan-African infrastructure. That, and you, you know of how what AFTA is, and you know the regulations around it. But there, it also needs infrastructure to support it. Said so that if you want to do business with another, say, a trader in Kenya who wants to import kente over here, they need to know who they are dealing with, mm -hmm. right? And mm. so Approved's job is to ensure that we are connected to the right kind of data um, sets all across the continent and to ensure that we can support the growth of commerce across Africa. That's yes. a very huge mandate to take upon yourself so that if someone, for example, is in Uganda or Namibia and wants to um, transact business or wants to verify the information of someone who is in Nigeria. Basically, they are using your platform to be able to do that without necessarily flying anybody of over course. or requesting for some email documentation or something like that. That's a very, very huge mandate that you have taken upon yourself. Does it feed into the concept of open banking as, um, we're, as, as our topic for today? Yes, absolutely. Because I'd want to talk about the broader topic, which is basically open uh, systems, mm. right? Um, having systems open means that you're enabling things like democracy, human rights, because, well, for example, when journalists need to know information right from the uh, government, mm. the right to information bill, right. there needs to be regulation that enables that openness mm. so that, you know, uh, the government is mandated to open up information and report, right, to uh, the citizenry so that they get to know what is happening. Mm -hmm. It's the same concept that's being shifted into finance and that's why we say open finance and banking is just a vertical sector, mm. right? And so in essence what we are saying over here is that if you are going to implement open banking on the continent or in Ghana to be precise then we are saying that I as a consumer I own my data, mm. my financial transactions the bank is a custodian. Their job is, because I've opened a bank account with the bank, they're a custodian. Mm. But if I say I want my financial statements and I want to take it to bank B, right? It should be easy for me. Mm -hmm. it, shouldn't, it shouldn't be you know, a closed system where I can't share my own financial transactions right. or with the mobile money uh, uh, folks, right? I should be able to move my information anywhere because mm. that is what the, the data protection 
regulations say, right? Mm. They say that you are the owner, you are the custodian of your data as the data subject, mm. and you deem fit who to share with your data. Right. And so that is the concept on which open banking is built on. And for, of course, for that to happen, then it means that systems must talk yeah, together. Right. And that's why companies like ours enable, enabling the systems to talk. But not only that, because it's also relatively new, it means we must also enable or educate the regulatory environment. Right. Regulators must understand how do we enable this because systems will be talking, it's about private, uh, private data, mm. how do we ensure that it's secure mm. and all of that. Yeah, but I mean, there's also that other side of it where people, for example, don't know about the system. There is trepidation, for example, about my information being violated or used for things that yes. I don't have any control over. Um, there is that other side also of the various companies. I mean, I can't imagine one bank being so open that I want to share my my client's information with another bank or my client yes, should so yes. easily and readily share their information with other banks. You know, there's a bit of that protectionism sort yes. of mindset behind yes. it. And I'm just wondering how we can get into a proper sense of an open financial space with all these blocks. Okay. So, so let me tell you something. Ghana is one of those countries. Again, we, we, we've done a good job of leading the pack, right? Mm. We've set up the precursor for regulating that open banking space, mm. which is a very recent uh, directive um, that's under the payment systems license. Right. The specific directive is called the Payment Systems and Financial Technology License. Okay. And it sort of like ensures that any entity that handles data, credit bureaus, KYC, or any data entity, banks, you need to be licensed mm. in order to do that, right? And okay. so what it means is that whilst, the, whilst there's an opportunity to share data, the central bank and the various stakeholders recognize that there's an opportunity to ensure that there's standardization. Mm. Once standard, standardization comes in, what it means is that there's also an opportunity to see how we can innovate on top of that. Because if you just create this open system, it can be abused. Mm. And you don't want you know, the whole financial sector you know, challenges that we've had previously. Mm. So the Bank of Ghana is really doing, especially the FinTech and Innovation Office, mm. they're really doing a very great job of anticipating all these possible innovations and saying, well, we can't stop innovation, but we can work with the innovators. Mm. So let's first standardize what they are doing, ensure their corporate governance is great, mm. their security is great, they are um, following data protection regulations in Ghana. Right. Uh, there's local content. If there's the company that owns the technology, mm. they are Ghanaian-led, right? They are doing those basic things, which for me puts Ghana ahead of m markets like Nigeria or South Africa, where it's a free-for-all right. Right, system. Right. No regulation, right. no mention on that. Yeah. That's, that's interesting. Well, coming back to the concept itself of open banking you talked about the open financial sector and open financial systems and open systems generally but what is it about the open banking concept that makes it so incredible and such such a new area you know that everybody wants to get into it if you could kind of explain it for the average person yes. to basically get it what is open banking okay. what's, what's that concept about okay so if you are like a normal person you have a mobile money account or a bank account what it means is that you've created an asset 
Okay. That asset has, and when I say asset, it means something you own, right? right? So even though it's not tangible, you can't see it, it's still something you have. You mm -hmm. own it. It's your property. By creating the bank account and doing transactions, all of that information is owned. And you know, in today's world, information is really powerful. Yeah. It has a lot of value. Right. So that data that you own, it means that you, as an average banker or mobile money user, you can use that for so many things. Mm. Example, you can use that to borrow, uh, get loans for mm. your business or, your, uh, or just to support yourself. You can use that uh, information uh, and give it to a, a, an investment manager. And they can use that information to determine which assets you should invest in. Mm. So it's all powerful information that you created yourself. You own it. And the applications are powerful. You know, we, we, we were here and we had the whole banking sector meltdown. Mm. And that was mainly because the lenders, most of the banks, they, didn't, they were lending blindly, you know. They didn't have enough information on customers and they were giving out, you know, loans to people who necessarily weren't, you know, up to, you know, the standard that was required. Mm. And so in essence, what happens is that if you are doing any practicing any financial activity, be it insurance, investments, banking, and you are doing it blindly, it really pushes you to a point where you will make mistakes. Mm. And so we are saying that we have, consumers have these assets, let them make the most of the asset. Instead of asking you to, them to go and bring uh, collateral, let them use the data that you have on them as their collateral. Mm. And that's actually the benefit of open banking. So in the U.S., there's a company called Plaid, and Plaid has, is basically similar to what we do. And um, they built infrastructure that makes it easy for banks like Wells Fargo, uh, Citibank, and all of that to mm. get information on customers and be able to use that to do all kinds of very innovative things. So for example, you don't need, if you want to buy a car, right, on a uh, 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 higher purchase, right, you don't need to go walk to a whole financial uh, uh, institution and take your property papers and you don't need it because all you have to do is that you give permission I give you permission to access my financial statement for five to six months you can use that to determine whether I am you know eligible to you know get this car mm. right and so this it makes life very easy mm. it also transforms the financial sector mm. right and then people for example very ordinary people will be able to get loans investment solutions because they also have mobile money and that information on it is an asset they can use to access and various you know benefits and improve their lives two things does it not mean the end you know the beginning of the end of the concept of traditional banks as we see it today well you see banks have begun well uh, you know so some 10 years ago there was mobile money they took a very lax position mm -hmm. i don't think banks are that foolish again <laughs> <laughs> don't make that mistake again <laughs> so so it, they are fast they are, they are saying that okay there are two ways would 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 avoid this mm. end again so the first way is let's collaborate with the fintechs. Mm. Second way, let's collaborate with the uh, what do you call it, the telcos, mobile money, so that we benefit. Even if we get the whole the whole pie, we will benefit. Mm. 
Mm. And so but a lot of banks are really trying to move, you know, quickly and they are not too close. Mm. But the, the only reason a financial institution will be close, and you know most financial institutions, they have this whole concept of risk. Right. So if you want to work with a financial institution on open banking, you need to help them understand where the risk centers are and how the risk centers are being reduced. Mm. And that's mm. what, so the Bank of Ghana has done its uh, part, right? At least they've said, if you want to work with an entity like this, they must have this license. At least the banks will come down. Mm. Okay, this risks, regulatory risks has been taken off. Mm -hmm. Now, what are the other risks? Is it infrastructure risks? What have you done to, you know, and ensure that the, 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 the infrastructure is secure? Mm. What have you done to ensure that uh, the consumer's data is secure? These are all risk centers. And mm. essentially, as bank understand this, you as people like me, right, we have to be able to make sure that we help the banks understand this. And that's why we are playing very critical role in, in the whole open banking ecosystem. So Approve was the first um, entity, te technology entity, to join what we call financial data exchange. Mm. The financial data exchange is a global standard for how data should be exchanged, or data of businesses and consumers should be exchanged. Mm. Companies like MasterCard, Visa, Wells Fargo, Bank of America, all of them belong to that standard. Mm. And so for us, immediately, our, our standards are global, right? And so when I come to Bank of Ghana and I get my license, also I am compliant on a national level. Mm. So any bank I talk to, it, it allays your fear because they right. know that I have taken all the steps, steps to reduce the risk, the risk and ensure mm. that consumers' data is protected. Right. They, and most importantly, they get value out of their own data. Mm. It's not us who own the data, it's the consumer who owns the data and they give permission as to how they want their data to be used for their own benefit. Within the African context, what drives open banking? Hmm. Well, what are the main and key drivers of, or potential drivers of open banking? Because I can imagine it's not necessarily the most popular concept. Yes. We still are very used to the traditional forms of banking. Yes. But from where you sit and the future that you are projecting for, what are the key drivers of open banking? I think number one is the application of the use case, right? Mm. So the, the use case here, and that's like the most popular thing is lending, mm. credit, mm. right? How do you ensure that you understand who you are lending to? Typically, banks design credit products based off the limited information they can get on you here in Africa, mm. right? But now, once you open up an opportunity to access granular data like mobile money, and we are talking about the average individual who earns less than, let's say, what, $2 a day, mm. right? If you can understand how they spend money, their money, then it means you can lend properly to them. And that's where products like uh, what Quick Loan from MTN comes from. Mm. They understand how you are spending on your airtime. They understand how you are transacting on your mobile money. And so they use that with collaboration with a lending company like mm -hmm. Jumo to enable that lending, mm. right? So that's a typical driver because now everyone wants to lend just the way MTN has been lending. The right. banks are like, wow, these guys have done more than $3 billion in right. a very short time. Right. We've existed for years and we've yeah, not we, lended that yeah. much, right? So that's one. Another driver would be, for example, trade and logistics, right? 
airline and I explained you are doing business with people uh, in Togo in uh, everywhere in Africa and you need a credit line right how does how do you how, how does the bank trust that you are actually doing this business right and you are not laundering money and all of that right. they need an infrastructure that can help them understand so that's another driver um, financial inclusion in general right mm -hmm. so uh, when I say financial inclusion it brings all these things under being able to access uh, credit uh, services being able to access investment services mm -hmm. all these people need information on you to make decisions on your behalf mm -hmm. and so once you as a consumer has the power to share your data yeah. responsibly with whoever you want and securely it puts you in a position to you know benefit a lot from your data which you know uh, wherever i mean in the western world they are benefiting a lot from mm. share your thoughts and opinions on the show via the whatsapp number 054-998-6996 tweet at us using hashtag citytrend I mean, we've gotten to this point, and in recent weeks, all this conversation about privacy and WhatsApp and all the messaging yeah. platforms and all of that. Clearly, there's there's a case to be made for regulation. Of course. And as we've seen in a lot of other examples, for example, even the proliferation of mobile money or the concept of mobile money, yeah. it's either regulation is enabling it to thrive or completely killing it off. What is the situation with regulation with regard open banking on the continent and is it necessarily very open in terms of enabling you know um, open banking to go ahead full throttle or is it something that is still sort of a debate sort of like yeah. um, um, a back and forth we can't find a middle ground what, what's the situation like on the continent I'll say it's a bit of both so let me start from Ghana because mm. that's where I know very well natural right um, so, you see, it's so important, especially based on what we've seen in the past, where there's been systematic issues, right? Mm -hmm. It's so important that the regulator works closely with innovators. Mm. That's why the Bank of Ghana, having learned from their lessons, set up the FinTech and Innovation Office. Mm. And what they've done is that they didn't even go and look for the traditional banker or person academic who will be in the Bank of Ghana, mm. they went to look for an operator, mm. someone who has built mobile money services, right. someone who has built technology, someone who has consulted for you know, global and international development agencies. Mm. And they says, you lead this, because we don't want to repeat the mistakes exactly. that we've made formerly. Yeah. We are thinking 10, 20 years ahead. Mm. So it's your job to figure out how we work with the, these innovators, the right. fintechs and various mm. technology companies. Mm. And that is like one of the biggest moves. It tells you that the, this, the regulator is thinking ahead, right? And they see that they need these kind of talent mm. to be able to you know, transform how we engage the, techno uh, the technology industry. Mm. So that is the first indicator as to an interest in engaging and uh, making open banking possible. Mm. The second indicator in Ghana is that they released a regulatory uh, category for open banking. Well, it wasn't specifically designed for open banking, but mm. it was designed for um, data companies, which means it's a precursor to enabling open banking, which is so critical. Now, 
for companies like mine, we are saying that, look, Bank of Ghana, you're doing a great job. We are uh, a member of a global standard for open banking. Why don't we help you set up the um, open banking regulations mm -hmm. so that you're able to have a full-fledged uh, policy or directive which can become an act later on. It was the same thing we did with the Payments Systems uh, uh, Services Act that we, it was rolled out or enacted in 2019. And there was a lot of consultation. Um, industry players and various stakeholders consulted mm. and finally we came up with that draft and published in Parliament. So I believe that process would happen similarly. We, it always starts with some directive. So in, in the way we used to have what we call the EMI guidelines. That was what was evolved to become the Payment Systems Act. Right. So you can see the trend again. There's the an evolution happening. Exactly, it's yeah. happening and in Ghana. Now, Kenya, they put in their central bank, the Central Bank of Kenya had, um, has a strategy document for the next five years. Mm. And they put open banking on the roadmap. So, while they understand and appreciate the importance of open banking, they are a bit, um, they're, they're thinking about it as more of a long term. It's not their priority right. now, right. right? But I know that eventually they'll come up with a, a, a system or guidelines that would allow these infrastructures like com or companies like us to operate. Because mm. you can't say that you wait till then before you regulate such companies, right? right? In Nigeria, um, the central bank has, uh, based on what I've heard, the central bank has said that they are thinking about it. It's something they are open to, mm. but it is not the immediate thing they are going to you know, pay attention to. So what does that mean? It puts Ghana ahead. Ghana actually has prepared itself. And you know, based on my conversations with the central bank, especially the FinTech and Innovation Department, I know, like, before the end of this year, we'll have even a more developed... Will it be too late for the Afri other African countries? I mean, because that is the way of the future, whereby me as an account holder, having all the data about myself, can be able to use it in, in different financial institutions freely, easily, without any restrictions, yes. and just making life much easier for me, without necessarily being tied down to one bank and one bank only. Yeah. That, for me, I think is the most salient point about open banking. Exactly. Will the other African countries be too late to discovering the benefits of all of this? Well, the good thing is that regulators talk among themselves. Mm. That's what we call AFI, mm. so Global Organization for All Regulators. They meet. Mm. So they talk among themselves. They know when Ghana makes a move, Sometimes it's like competition also. Right. And one kind of, for example, mobile money, Kenya. Yeah. Yeah. When they made a move, everyone Everybody went else. there to learn, yeah. right? And now even Nigeria is now thinking about how to deploy mobile money in Nigeria, right? Mm. So they talk among themselves. They know what is priorities to their market at each point in time. Mm. And I believe that at one point in time, they will definitely open full-time and mm. set up full-scale acts around open banking. Then brings me to the other conversation about the last mile. The person yeah. sitting in some place, some rural place. You know, this all seems all well and good, you know, for the middle income earner who seems to be a little more tech savvy. Mm. What does it mean for the average person, average Ghanaian, okay. you know, looking at, for example, gaining access to whichever and whatever it is that they want to gain access to, whether it is um, borrowing money from an institution, yes. whatever it is. What does open banking mean for the average person? 
Okay, so before I will answer that question, right, let me help you understand a bit of history. You know, there was a time in Ghana we said we were doing mobile, what, number portability. Right. That is a form of openness. You know mm. why? Mm. Because it puts the power in the hands of the consumer. Right. I don't need to be stuck to MTN for life. Mm. If I want to keep my number there, I'll keep it for life. If mm. I want to take it to Tigo, I can take it. If mm. I want to take it to Brill, I can take it. Right. That is, in essence, a similar benefit that will come out of uh, regulating open banking mm. in Ghana and enabling it. Right. And so for the, the average person, the most important thing is that if you own uh, a mobile money account, mm. then it means you can create data assets, right. which means that now you have the opportunity to access so many, a world of financial services, mm. insurance, mm. all things that will improve your life. Without the burden visit. of that whole opening a bank, bank account. Yes. Mm. You don't mm. need to go and sit down and the bank will say, oh, go and bring the a drawing dra to your house, your, your ta mm. 10 tax certificates and mm. all. It's going to make your life, you'll just be, you know, tired. You know, so why should I do this? Mm. But if I have a mobile money account, I have information there, mm -hmm. right? Right now, the way it is, because we're building this infrastructure to be digital, it means I can, okay. I, I can dial a short code, right? Once I dial the short code, um, options are there. Oh, uh, are you sick? Yes, I'm sick. Um, do you have insurance to cover this uh, illness? Um, no. Okay, one. We, and give us, uh, uh, then we'll say, okay, we want to understand who you are, mm. whether you have some financial activity, so that we know that if we give you a loan for insurance, right, you will be able to pay back. Yeah. Right. It's just simple. On, he, he, you don't want, need to work anywhere at mm. all. Right? Mm. It makes your life so seamless. And this is what we mean by financial inclusion. Mm. That is an ability to have access to financial services mm. in a way that, you know, there isn't so much impediment. And this is truly what Ghanaians need, right? This sounds like the best pathway to the financial inclusion, like you're saying, that Absolutely. governments have been asking about and talking about and banks have been talking about for so long. What it also does on the flip side is even from a government point of view it also gives them a sense of who is within the financial sector who Absolutely. can who is who is liable for example to paying what level of tax yes. how much money is coming it actually does a good thing for the population in terms of where we are going financially how the economy is going to grow projections that the government can make, make and all of yeah, that it's it's interesting it's interesting that with all of this we don't seem to be moving much faster than we are. Well, we, well, I mean, uh, open banking is, as a concept, is rel relatively young. Mm. So the FCA in the UK recently, maybe about three, four years ago, really brought into effect what they call PSD2. Mm. And PSD2 is a, a, is a open banking regulation, basically. So to be fair, it's relatively young, mm. but like I say, you know, Africa in the last 10 to 15 years, we've uh, basically outrun financial innovations anywhere else in the world. And mobile money is, you know, an example of that. Mm. We've jumped using the desktop computer 
to the mobile phone. Yeah. And I think with open banking, it will be the same case. Mm. We will, you know, jump, we'll leapfrog that whole, whole you know, um, process that the rest of Europe and US went through. Mm. And we will become leaders in that space. What, it, what this also means is that a lot of businesses will have to start really rethinking their long-term strategies, you know, for their businesses, because this is going to change everything. Yes. In fact, what it will mean is that if you're a business or an individual, you will understand the importance of data to you. Mm. You will keep records well because if you don't have the information to make it difficult for you to access. Mm. Now, as you know, so buildings are, are important assets to you know, of course. Yeah, businesses. Mm. Well, now your data will be a very important asset to you. Mm. Right? Mm. As an individual, you don't need to own land. Right? in order to buy a car or get a loan to start a business. Mm. It, is, it will be your data. Right. Your data is what will determine that. And you need to put as much importance that you put on it as compared to you know, land or mm. any other property you have. Paul, any final words before you take leave of us? Well, what I have to say is that you know, Africans, we've always been innovative people. Don't let anyone lie to you. Mm. We've always been innovative. It's just that we haven't been there's no other era than now that we, you know, we've been bold. Mm. So we need to be bold and ask the very difficult questions and say, do we want our kids to continue to live the lives that we want to live? If the answer is no, then we need to take very bold decisions. Mm. And I believe that um, already we are taking that, those steps. And if we do open up ourselves to open banking uh, regulation and the infrastructure in itself, it will change the future of this uh, country and continent. And that is the final word there from the CEO, founder of Approve, making things happen and changing the fortunes of African countries and individuals across the continent and across the world. We've been talking about the concept of open banking and what it means for an African country like Ghana, um, a global player like Africa, and of course, for the rest of the world. I do hope you've picked up a thing or two from that conversation. This, of course, is City Trends, and the conversation continues. Riveting conversation, lots of insights, lots to learn there by Paul Damily. Well, the show does continue, and the conversations continue on the show. Continue to send us your thoughts and your messages on our WhatsApp number 0549986996. Alternatively, you can send us a message on Twitter using a hashtag C-I-T-I-T-R-E-N-D-S. It's now time for us to get into the app segment. Now, the app segment is a segment of the show where we try to basically get a sense of which mobile apps are best for you. You know, the ones that are most especially developed by um, people in Ghana. Sometimes we get some that are not produced in Ghana, but, you know, if it is good for you, you will bring it to you. So Jeffrey Urekusapo has this week's mobile application. Good evening, Philip, and good evening, everyone. Our featured app tonight is the TypeWise keyboard. According to the creators of this keyboard app, 93% of the words you type using it will not have any typos. This keyboard is designed to look like honeycomb, and after testing it out, I realized that it takes some getting used to, but once you do, it is fun to use. Another thing is that this keyboard app promises to prioritize your privacy. It is 100% offline and doesn't ask for access to your contacts, calendar or anything else. The app is found on both the Play Store for Android and the App Store for iOS. 
just get to the search bar and type T-Y-P-E-W-I-S-E. Follow me on Twitter at OJ Sapon. If you have any app that you want us to review on the show or you have anything else you want us to discuss, just hit my DM. It's always open. Until we meet again next week to test another app, stay safe and make sure you are adhering to all the COVID-19 safety protocols. And yes, indeed, we are jumping now into another segment of the show, one which I thoroughly like. And um, yes, that is your tech. And so with your tech, we basically try to give you an understanding of basically what's, you know, some of the challenges that you're facing with the technology around you and what uh, the solutions probably are. And um, to bring us that particular segment is the one and only Ellen. Ellen Dapa is um, the one who is going to bring us that um, segment. So Ellen, do take it away. Hello everybody, good evening. This is your tech segment on City Trends and we are here once again to help each other out, try solve our problems, try interact and get things right. It feels so good to be back on the show once again to talk to you so you can share your problems with me and then we can share the little knowledge we have on the issues and you know help each other out. I hope you're all doing fine. On this week's segment, Ferdinand spoke to me and basically he has a bit of confusion about you know WhatsApp and the new terms and conditions and its connection to Facebook and all that. I think it's something we have been talking about for some weeks now. Even last week we spoke about it but you know that is the issue that came to me from Ferdinand and that's why we are here. So we would listen to Ferdinand's problem or what he has about his WhatsApp and then we will provide the solution that we have. My problem is with um, WhatsApp. In the beginning of the year, yeah, it had, um, I had a pop-up on my WhatsApp and it was asking me to agree to uh, terms and conditions. But then I was really busy, so I didn't read and then I declined it. I think it came three times, but then every time it will come, I'm actually busy doing something and I can't read and then I have to still use my WhatsApp, so I'll just decline it. But then it hasn't come again since then. Okay, so then later I saw people talking about the fact that um, the terms and conditions allows WhatsApp to get access to plenty of things like your personal info that they're not even supposed to be get access to. And then they, yeah, they're going to share it with Facebook. So since then I haven't received that thing again. Yeah. But then I wanted to know because um, I think you wrote that by February 8th, if you don't accept you don't agree to the terms and conditions you can't use whatsapp so i wanted to know if yeah we are supposed to agree if it's advisable to agree to the terms and conditions or you have to uninstall whatsapp so yes this is what ferdinand has to say i want to believe this is something that a lot of people are also confused about having to do with what's going on with whatsapp and its connection to facebook and all that philip would help us to understand what is going on and then help provide a solution to Ferdinand and, well, yes, any other person in Ferdinand's shoes. Well, yes, indeed, that is what we're going to do. So um, just as, I mean, we talked about this last week, but just as a basis, now Facebook's um, WhatsApp, because Facebook owns WhatsApp, 
um, has been alerting its 2 billion users to an update to it of, of its privacy policy, of its privacy policy. And um, basically, you have to accept it. Um, that is what they are saying. Initially, that was the thing. You have to accept it before the 18th or you basically lose access to your WhatsApp. They have changed that obviously because of the feedback that they received from everybody else. Now, the new terms delivered in early 2021 has obviously caused a lot of people to be very, very concerned. Now, WhatsApp says that the changes are necessary to help it integrate better with other Facebook products, but um, it has pushed back the deadline because of the backlash. Now, what does the policy say exactly? WhatsApp is now reserving the right to share data it collects about you with a broader Facebook network, which includes Instagram, regardless of whether you have accounts or profiles there. Now, much of the policy, which is about monetizing WhatsApp generally, is broadly in line with what came before and states that WhatsApp receives information from and shares information with the other Facebook companies, which may use information we receive from them and they may use information we share with them to help operate and market services, blah, blah, blah. Now, for longtime users, of WhatsApp. This option has always been around. It's been around for quite a bit, uh, made available in 2016, for example. But then it was just an option. It was temporary. It wasn't permanent. Now, with this new update and with the initial deadline of February 8th, basically what was happening was either you accept it or you hang up your WhatsApp. That was the initial position. Obviously, um, WhatsApp has had to make a couple of changes. It's now shifted the time to May 15th. Um, and, you know, hopefully some more better decision making will be done about that. Now, can Facebook read your WhatsApp messages? The truth is and the fact is no. Now, conversations with your friends are encrypted end to end, meaning that not even WhatsApp itself can access them. However, by using WhatsApp, you may be sharing with it your usage data as well as your phone's unique identifier, among other types of you know information generally called metadata. Now, this may be linked to your identity. According to um, WhatsApp, it's, um, you know, basically listed when you get to the Apple App Store, or the Google Play Store, all of it will be listed there. So you can see what information will be linked to your identity. And um, it's this particular data that the privacy policy stipulates must now be agreed, can be shared with Facebook. Now, why does Facebook want the data? Simple answer, to improve its offerings whether to you or to the companies that it is selling adverts to now um almost all the two uh, 21.5 billion us dollars in revenue that facebook generated um it generated in the third quarter of 2020 came from adverts and none of it was attributed to whatsapp so clearly there's a problem there if all the all this 21.5 billion in revenue that facebook made and none of it came from whatsapp something has to change and that is why facebook has to make that decision that it is making so why what's what's the big deal i mean the big deal is that when you have um that have the turkish president and literally the entire defense ministry saying in turkey saying that they are dropping whatsapp and then you have elon musk making such um, announcements to his 42 million twitter followers it's something that you have to be worried about signal for example uses the same open source encryption technology as facebook owned um whatsapp but, but then you know basically there is something going on there and as you probably already know brian acton who is basically the head or the founder of signal was actually a co-creator of whatsapp so 
it kind of puts um, a lot of things into perspective perspective there so is the policy the same globally no it's not it is um it is for european countries because of the measures that the european data protection authorities have put in place it doesn't apply in that same manner in terms of information sharing with the other Facebook-owned companies. Um, it looks sort of the same in the U.S. and in parts of Africa, or probably in all of Africa, because we don't have the same stringent measures that, you know, the EU, for example, has put in place. So who benefits from the privacy policy challenges? Well, businesses mainly. And um, one of the businesses that is currently enjoying a lot of... Um, goodwill as it were is signal now signal um basically moved from 10 million active users um in total to about 50 million in one day so in one day um you had a jump of over 40 million people jumping onto signal just because of the announcement and obviously that means quite a lot for the business it means it means everything for businesses so just to put things into perspective, that's exactly what's going on. That's what's happening. Now, as to whether you should accept it, well, truth is just accept it because the information is already available to Facebook anyway if you have a Facebook account. It doesn't really change much. It just probably means that you just have to be aware that a lot of information will be shared across. Now, what WhatsApp actually did say or their CEO did point out in his, in his tweet two weeks ago was the fact that this basically this policy works more for people who are having conversations with businesses so business accounts can actually have a lot more access to these sorts of information and they don't have sort of a policy that clearly outlines what happens with the business to individual accounts and that's why this policy needed to be made as clear as possible but as you already know um whatsapp is trying to make all of this as clear as possible so that you know the interactions you know, in case anybody decides to go to court, all of this will be properly contextualized within the law. So what, whether you should switch from WhatsApp to Signal or to Telegram, personally, I don't think so. I think it's a complete waste of time. Most of your friends are not going to be on Signal. Most of your friends are still going to be on WhatsApp because they enjoy their status, watching your status. They enjoy everything else that comes with WhatsApp. However, if you're very big on privacy, and you are very, very big on privacy, whether it's your company or whichever, it is something that you should probably consider, um, especially because of, you know, things like disappearing messages and things like that. Well, WhatsApp, for example, is trying to implement it, even though it's not as savvy at, at it as um, Signal or Telegram, but then it's still trying to do something about it. So personally, personal advice um, to uh, Ferdinand, I don't think you should move away necessarily from whatsapp just because of the networks that you operate in and the things that you do you use whatsapp for i think you should accept the terms and conditions because well and truly most of that information if you have a facebook account is already being shared with facebook anyway so it doesn't really change much so yes that is um it you do have an option you have your signals of the world you have your telegrams of the world to jump to however I mean, when you balance everything off, it doesn't really make too much of a difference. So that's it, really. So, yeah, I, I hope that that helps everybody and puts everything into proper context. And now it's time for us to jump into the trending segment. The trending segment is where we bring you up to date with the latest news stories regarding um, the technology scene, both locally and internationally. And Ms. Entry is here to bring us more details. Welcome.
Thank you, Philip. Uh, it's good to hear. So I'll start with something about messaging apps. What's trending now? Messaging apps. So it seems to be there's no perfect messaging app yet. Mm. So <laughs> <laughs> there's no perfect messaging app yet. Okay. So some employees at Signal are raising concerns. Already? Already. <laughs> are raising concerns of some of the tools and features Signal has added. Mm-hmm. And they are saying that there are some policies that Signal has to put in place, but they aren't even considering to put those policies in place. And if those policies are not in place, it is going to be a very dangerous dangerous platform for signal and then some actors can actually use the platform to you on their to their advantage mm. which won't be regulated mm. and signal is not considering that asset now and of course i mean one of the big things about facebook and the big tech companies is the fact that they are under serious scrutiny by virtually everybody else and it's companies like the smaller companies mm-hmm. in this case that often get under the radar and get away with stuff so i mean it's important that at least the the workers in the company realize some of these things and voice 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 it out otherwise we wouldn't know yeah. we just want a platform to communicate on so it can it can go either way so moving on to another story, to another story which is actually trending, YouTube CEO, um, as a usual tradition they do every year, she writes letters to its creators, so the community. Mm. And th- in this year, in the first letter she wrote, she's actually announced that it, YouTube has paid over thirty billion US dollars to creators, actors, and media organizations, and it's also saying that. YouTube is putting measures to make sure that uh, guidelines are being communicated well to its to its creators and the users of the platform. And also, the company is claiming that with its partner program, they've been able to contribute over 16 billion US dollars to the GDP of US mm. in 2019, and which is equivalent to over 345,000 full-time jobs according to a, a research by... They Oxford. should come and do the research in Ghana <laughs> and find out yeah. the, the amounts that they are dishing out to the Ghanaian YouTube YouTubers, content yeah. creators. It will, it, will, it will drive you nuts. But, hey, it's good. It's good that at least YouTube is at least giving back. Maybe some other companies, hint, mm-hmm. hint, to TikTok and Snapchat and everybody else, <laughs> should start also paying yeah. content developers on their platforms. Yeah. But yeah, interesting. And, and this will also be a good, a good year to join YouTube as Absolutely. a creator. Absolutely, yeah. because, because all the money that's been committed yes, to the platform yeah, as well. Yeah. 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 So to one other story, uh, Pinterest seems to be the last to read the latest app to join the story box. <laughs> <laughs> so Pinterest has added a feature which they call Story Paint. Mm. So mm. actually, Story Paint was there. They introduced it in September as a normal feature on the app. Mm-hmm. But starting from today, it's added to the top. <laughs> <laughs> so it's, know, where, where if we open Twitter and you see fleets, yes, fleets, that's exactly where, you know, what's it called? Uh, story pins, <laughs> story pins. Story so starting from today, it's been introduced at the top. So oh, once you open Pinterest, it will be there mm. at the top. And w- one interesting feature they are bringing to that is you wouldn't just see uh, pins from accounts you follow or you've pinned, mm. but you will see from almost everybody. So <laughs> it will be a way to introduce 
introduce new ads. It's ads. all because of the ads. But ads. it's okay. It's yeah. okay. We'll take it. Yeah. So to our last story, last story for the week, Twitter has acquired review, which is an email subscription, a newsletter platform to actually compete with Star Substacks. Okay. So if you if you notice most journalists and uh, opinion leaders around have started newsletters and then most of them they gather their audience on Twitter and then they distribute it through Substacks. Mm. But uh, I mean if you gather them on Twitter why not use a Twitter platform? So Twitter has, has acquired a newsletter strategy. platform strategy to, to actually help that's all it is. It's all about the, yeah. the strategy. I love it. Anyway, um, Charlie, so, thank you so, so much. So that's it for the week. You can follow me on Twitter at Yao Thank you very much. Yes, indeed. And sure. thank you very much for bringing us up to date. Well, that is all time will allow us on the show. I do hope you have learned a thing or two about um, everything tech. And we hope we've brought you up to date as well. Now, the show will be available as a podcast first thing tomorrow. So please look out for it and download it and share with your friends and your family members and everybody else. And make sure they get themselves their daily dose or weekly dose of technology literacy. Well, that is all time will allow us on the show. A big thank you to the rest of the production team, to Mr. Enchi, of course, to Nidaku Otu, to Ellen and... um to Jeffrey Rikusapong as well. But until next week, stay techie.